Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. One of those you had to be living under a rock headlines if you missed it. And what I'm talking about is seven manly players who refused to wear the jersey that had the rainbow colours on it. Did everyone see this? Is there anyone who did not? I don't want to embarrass you, but it was a pretty big story. Uh, These guys refused to wear the pride jersey, as it was called. Um, And I remember watching on Sunrise, it was was sort of a major morning news show. I don't know if I should say I watch Sunrise when I'm in the city campus because it might be a bit below your standards. But anyway... I was watching it, and, and as, as Sunrise does, as most news outlets do, they pit two views against each other and just let them attack each other, right? So they had, there, there was the host, and then there were two people, one speaking on the part of saying, you know what, we need to be slow to judge these players, that you don't know what's going on. Whereas the other player, the other, the other person on the other side of the argument saying, no, they should be sacked, they should be destroyed. And what she labelled their attitude as was what really stood out to me. The way she described their behaviour and their attitude in deciding not to wear this jersey was that they were full of bigotry and hatred. They're really strong words. They're the sorts of words that catch your attention. The irony was the venom with which she was saying it indicated that she had some pretty heavy hatred and bigotry towards these players. But I want to tell you tonight that the concerning thing is that those players and their faith is not far removed from ours. Generally speaking, more or less, these seven players carry and walk with the same faith that you and I are expressing tonight. And then what's even more interesting about this is that the very faith we carry, the person who started this faith, the person who's at the centre of this faith, made a statement about our faith that is so far removed from hatred and bigotry that it's not even funny. He said, you will be known by your love. The way he said it is this, it's on the screen behind me in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. By what? By this, if you have love for one another. And the challenge we're facing in 2022 is as we go about expressing our love and expressing our faith, we are experiencing very vehement and aggressive, from some circles, opposition. There is a strong opposition to our faith and how we might express it in this season, in this time that we're in. But I reckon that's just one side of the coin. If one side of the coin is opposition, let me encourage you by saying the other side of the coin is we're living in a time of significant, more significant than I've ever seen in my lifetime at 43 years of age. It's not, it's not just about opposition. There is also significant opportunity for the gospel to take ground like it's never taken before. If you think about those two words, opposition and opportunity, I reckon if Paul were here today, that's how he would have described his time in Ephesus when he, when he, when he preached the gospel and started this church to which he writes a letter with to a few years later while he's handcuffed to a Roman guard under house arrest in Rome. As he's writing this letter, I reckon he's thinking, my goodness, that time I spent in Ephesus was just ridiculous. This was the place, I don't know if you've heard this, where one of his hankies that he'd carry around with him, a handkerchief, uh, someone took it away from him, so he's not there when it happens. But I don't know what they were thinking when they did this. Maybe it was just an experiment. But there's a sick person there. They take Paul's handkerchief, they drop it on him. As soon as the handkerchief hits that person, they're healed. 
You can read about this in Acts 19. It's in the Bible. It's true. This is what's going on. People healed by handkerchiefs. Like Paul's snot was anointed <laughs> to heal. But it wasn't. And many people came to faith in, in, this, in this city that was like a major trade port. Chaos, you know, the rat race. Talk about uh, like the CBD. Ephesus was a major capital, like the Roman capital of Asia. So much is going on in Ephesus. There's class divides. There, there's the Roman, Roman soldiers in there trying to police everything. All this stuff's going on. And Paul, a little guy called Paul, waltzes in one day, starts preaching the gospel, and all hell and heaven break loose at the same time. There's so many things that are happening, so much opportunity for the gospel, and Paul see many people come to faith. But at the same time, in the very same time that he's there doing that, the opposition is ridiculous. There's these guys who uh, their, their craft and their trade was to make idols out of wood and stone, and they would craft these things up, and then they'd sell them to people to help them in their worship. Well, when people are coming to faith in Jesus, they throw out their old gods. They, throw, and they actually had this big bonfire. Everyone came and took their old idols, the gods they used to worship, uh, symbolized by these little artifact things they had, and they threw them in the fire, had this massive bonfire. So these guys who made these little, uh, these little idols cracked it and said, we're, we're losing money here. They started a riot and people were getting beaten up and all this stuff's going on. Talk about opposition. So with all the opportunity that was coming, there's all this opposition coming back the other way. And I reckon as we look at Ephesus in Acts 19, we are on the cusp of a, of a similar situation. There's going to be opposition. But alongside that opposition is going to be incredible opportunity for the gospel. And I want to say again, you guys are significantly placed in our capital city. As you gather here each time, something is going on that we can't see. Some of you might have the gift of being able to see it. I certainly don't. But that little glimpse I got as we were worshipping before, there's something really significant that you guys are a part of declaring the reign of Jesus in this city. You don't have to just do it on Sunday morning, but do it as you go to study, do it as you go to work or whatever, whatever your story is. It's significant and it's making an impact. Into these times we find ourselves in, this, this season coming upon us of op opposition and opportunity, it's so, uh, it's so encouraging that in this time we are landing in the book of Ephesians, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this, this church that was planted as a result of his preaching. And looking at it in particular from the angle of, who am I? All of the opposition that is coming at you at the moment is trying to tell you, this is who you are, this is who you should be. Don't be this, be this. Don't do that, do this. All of that opposition is trying to tell us to conform. So it's a really important time for us to go, okay, who am I in Christ? Who am I? And I've loved this series. I've loved the, that, that first week, Andrew took us through it before. Um, I am chosen, I'm chosen. That, that in a time where we are encouraged and told, choose your own identity, live it out and damn anyone who speaks against you. No, we believe in a God, a creator God who has existed for all eternity who said, I choose you, I'm, I've chosen you. And then last week, I am saved. I was dead in my sins and transgressions, but God made me alive with Christ. And more than just giving me a ticket to heaven, more than just giving me citizenship in his kingdom, if you read that passage again and go back and look at it, what has actually happened for you if you are in Christ is that you have been enthroned in heaven. That's significant. You're not just in the courtroom. You sit in a throne with Jesus. That's how extravagant God's grace is for you. Saved from death, enthroned in heaven for all eternity. 
And then tonight we're looking at this statement that is so crucial for us to understand and for us to, to be embedded in our hearts. And that's what Paul is going to pray for, that we know in this, in this time of significant opposition, I am loved. I am loved. We live in a time of cancel culture where we want to withdraw love from people if they express a view that's contrary to us. Oh, we've been friends for a while, we've been hanging out, we've been doing it, and then suddenly we have a conversation. I realise on a pretty serious issue, you disagree with me. Well, I am actually withdrawing from this relationship because you're a jerk and I didn't know this about you and forget all the things that we have in common because we can't agree on this thing. I'm withdrawing from you. I'm withdrawing my love. I'm withdrawing my, from my relationship. God is not like that, by the way. Do you, think, do you think God is happy with every thought that goes through our mind? Do you think God is happy with every decision we make? And yet he never, ever, never even crosses his mind to cancel you or to withdraw his love from you. I love the way that Brennan Manning says it. God's love, his love is never, never, never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration or change. It is reliable and always tender. That's the love of God. That's not scripture, but that's a really good description of the way that God loves us. And so here we are, after a very long introduction, landing in Ephesians chapter 3. And what I want to do tonight as we, work, as, we, as we work through, well, I want to work through the passage. I want to read it all at once. I want to work through it verse by verse and just pick out some, some stuff there that I think is important for us to understand before at the end, the way, where I want to finish is I actually want to pray Paul's prayer over you as the 5 p.m. city campus because it's a powerful prayer. And if you're open to it and God answers it, man, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. Anyway, let's get to it. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. Paul starts by saying, I'm just going to read verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay, let's stop right there, because for this reason, we have to investigate. This series, we're landing on some big chunks of Scripture through Ephesians, but we've just jumped over a big chunk from last week to this week. So when Paul writes something like for this reason or therefore a word like that, it's really important that you go back and understand what the reason is. So for this reason. Well, let me tell you what's in Paul's mind. Paul has just been speaking about the mystery of the gospel, right? Now, mystery, any, any mystery fans here love watching mysteries? And, you know, there's a big build-up. Nikki, you, you love a mystery. Um, you're a very young person to love a mystery. Are they British mysteries? It's great, okay. But the idea of a mystery is you build it up and build it up and then you have the big, everyone goes, Wow. We're so conditioned to the mystery that Paul's talking about, I'm not sure we go wow anymore. But the mystery that Paul has just talked about is that God's glory is shown in making a community of people that is both Jews and Gentiles. Where's the wow? That's the mystery revealed. That's he says, this is the mystery of God. Grace is not just for the Jewish people, it's for everybody. Because there's two kinds of people in the world, Jews or Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew. But Paul is saying this reason, this, this thing that's the reason that's prompting and, and making me want to pray when I'm about to pray is this vision of the church that Jesus had where unity would exist even despite diversity. In fact, diversity would be part of the features of the church that Jesus died, died to see happen. And this is the mystery of the gospel. Yeah, we, we, we say, and one of the things I learned when I first started at Gateway was one of the things we have to keep saying is everybody who comes through those doors is welcome. We say it because it's true. 
There is no one who would be excluded from the kingdom of God based on skin color, language, culture, background, story, history, anything. No one is excluded from the family of God. That's what's in Paul's heart. This picture, you remember what Jesus said, by this, by what? Your love for each other will you be known as my disciples. So the way we express this love should show the world that we belong to them because there is unity and love where there shouldn't be. People from different countries aren't meant to get along. People from different tribes aren't meant to get along. People with different views on a whole range of things shouldn't be in the same room as each other. Jesus is saying, when I am king and when, I, when people are submitting to me and worshipping me, there's going to be a unity that is going to surprise a lot of people. And more than just being in the same room as each other and maybe sitting on opposite sides of the room because if you think if you sit too close to them, you're going to pull out your shiv and give them a little stab. Well, it could have happened in the early church, but let's not, let's not get sidetracked. That's a bit extreme, I know. Maybe it's prophetic for someone in the room, I don't know. But love each other. Love each other, serve each other, wash one another's feet. That's, that's what Jesus is taught. That, that's the vision that Jesus had for the church that he was starting. And this is the vision that has captured Paul for this reason. I've just said a lot about three words. Hopefully we'll pick the pace up a little bit. For this reason, this is what is in Paul's heart. I want to talk, talk quickly about the posture he's talking about too, kneeling. Like kneeling was, was sort of common, but usually when people would pray in this day, they'd stand. You know, we st let's stand together and pray. That would be the usual posture. Paul's actually taking a slightly abnormal posture when he's saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father. This is a picture, as you can, I think you can relate to, of desperation and passion. God, please, I'm begging you, do this for the Christians in Ephesus. And I reckon we can say, God, please, do this for the Christians at Gateway City Campus. I'm begging you. This is a significant prayer that Paul is about to pray. The posture of kneeling shows that to us. I reckon there's also a reality here. It was in one of the songs we sung. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting till Jesus comes back to kneel. I'm kneeling now. And how we, how we find unity and diversity is all these people with a diversity of background and culture and language and skin colour and all that sort of thing, we find our unity not in trying to work harder to be nice to each other, now we find it when we kneel before Jesus. And as we all kneel, as we all submit, as we all come to him, we experience unity in the midst of diversity. Paul goes on and he, and he it kind of reiterates his point here in verse 15. He's praying to that God from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name. This is another picture. There isn't a family on earth that hasn't come from creator and sustainer God. Every single person in the history of humanity has the potential to become a child of God, to be chosen, to be saved, to be loved by God. There is no family that is outside the grace of God. I'm not talking about universalism there. I'm talking about coming to faith in Jesus. There is no one who would be excluded from coming and kneeling before Jesus. I forgot to turn on air, airplane mode and now I'm getting messages and it's really annoying. I'm going to turn airplane mode on and you're going to Edit that out of the recording. <clears throat> I mean, look at, look at the world we live in. There is so much division. There is so much war and, and, and aggression and all the stuff I said before. Like what, what Manly have tried to do, 
What they've tried to do in having this jersey is be inclusive, trying to bring unity, trying to bring togetherness, but it has failed miserably. We've got people throwing out hatred and bigotry left, right and centre. I mean, not to mention the stuff like the seven players who said they wouldn't wear it were told don't come to the game for fear of your own physical safety. An attempt to create unity has failed miserably and it always will if we try and do it in our human strength. Let's just try and work this out. Let's just get the people together. Come on, come on, let's love one another. Imagine, it, maybe you guys are too young to remember the John Lennon song, but imagine if we could just put all our differences aside. and It's impossible. It will never happen. Only Jesus can do it. Only Jesus can create this unity. Now let's get into the prayer. So Paul's talked about who he's praying to, the God and the Jesus who is able to do this and wants to do this. This is what's in my heart. For this reason, I want to see this happen. And then he starts to pray a prayer that I think starts to reveal to us how this happens. Here's the prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is a big prayer. That's a significant prayer. How how do you even start to unpack it? Well, the first thing I want to say is, um, is, this is this is a really important prayer to end this first section of Ephesians because what Paul's about to do in chapter 4, even though the chapter wasn't there before, like the second half of the letter, is start to talk about how to live as a Christian in Ephesus in whatever year it was that he wrote the letter. And there's a lot of stuff there for us who are trying to live as Christians in 2022 and we'll get into that as we go. But what Paul is doing here is really trying to cement something really important before he gets to what we do. That's why this identity series is important because he's actually praying into our very identity, the very core of who we are. I love um, when I find a quote from this commentator because I love his name. This bloke's name is Klein Snodgrass. That is a cool name. I don't know if it was his name from birth, but um, whether he changes that, but it's a great name, right? Anyway, this is what he said, very smart man. He said, this is what Paul wants. He wants his readers to be strengthened by God's spirit so that they may know intimately Christ's presence and love. Now listen to this bit. If this happens, all else will fall into place. If you get the love of God deep down, and we're going to look at this phrase, inner being, in a minute, deep down into your inner being, Klein is saying, Mr. Snodgrass is saying, everything else will fall into place. I think Paul knew that too. That's why he spends three chapters just ramming home. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Every spiritual blessing is yours. You are an adopted son, daughter of the king. Your sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. All of this has happened for you. Now, go and live like this. See, sometimes I think we get confused and we think we need to make ourselves lovable before God will extend his love to us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you are loved and Paul is praying that the love of God would dwell in our inner being. He says, glorious riches. You remember from the first week, every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Now you think about who God is, you think about he's existed from before all eternity and every resource that he has within his resources. 
Okay, think about that for a minute. Like a God like that who owns cattle on a thousand hills that reigns over all of these high rises and everyone in them and all that sort of thing. How many resources does he have? Well, every spiritual blessing is yours. And I reckon Paul's thinking about that again when he uses a different phrase from his glorious riches, just pouring out, pouring out. To a God like that, we celebrate and we're so thankful for 1.7 million bucks. But gee, he's pouring out when it comes to spiritual blessing. He's pouring out from his infinite resources. And so when it comes to the love of God that is, that is ours in Christ, we are, we are getting poured into from that resource that is unlimited. And where does it go? It goes into our inner being. And I don't, I'm not sure inner being really captures the heart of what, the, what Paul wrote in the Greek to explain what this was. The inner being, uh, this, this was the core of who we are. And this is where life was comprehended and where our key choices about life were made from. I don't know if it's physically here, even though I'm doing this gesture, but that's kind of where, where, I, where I imagine it to be, like the, the core of how we make decisions and the core of how we filter everything that is going on around us. So how we take it in and how we respond, how we react to everything that is going on around us, that's the inner being. And Paul is praying that in that place, May Christ dwell there. May the Holy Spirit give you strength. Don't we, need, we, don't we know we need strength in this season of opposition? That our inner being will not be swayed by people telling us how we should live and telling us how we should be, but God's love would dwell there and we would know we would be so secure in that love that even if we go against the flow, the cultural flow, the cultural tide, we're okay because in our inner being, we are filled with God's love. This is what Paul is praying for, the strength that would come, strength in our inner being. Now, before this becomes an academic exercise of, well, here's my, I've developed this decision-making framework for every decision I'm going to make and when I'm going to react to something that's, that's thrown my way, whether it be a news headline or something that my workmates are talking about or something that the lecturer is talking about in the university, you know, before, this is just my decision-making framework right here. Before it becomes an academic exercise, that's helpful. But beneath that is love. It's love. It's an engagement of emotion. It's an engagement of the whole person to say, you are loved by God. He loves you as you are. He loves you. You know, when, when Jesus heard those words from heaven, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. You are my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus needed to hear those words and he heard those words before he started his public ministry. These are words that you and I need to hear and to know. That before you've done anything of significance, before you've done anything for the kingdom of God, before you've said a prayer, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. When you're in Christ, that's the love with which God loves you the same way he loves Jesus. And while Paul is writing about this very love that would be at the end, and I need it, man, I need it in my inner being because I get nervous. Fear gets in my inner being every now and again. Doubt, compromise gets in my inner being every now and again. I need, to, I need Christ to dwell, I need Jesus to dwell there. I need to be strengthened in my spirit by the love of God, established in that love, standing on that. And while Paul's praying that, he actually prays an oxymoron. You guys know what an oxymoron is? Like things like bittersweet. It's a definite possibility. Country music. You know what an oxymoron is? Yeah. 
Paul prays here for an oxymoron. He prays that we would grasp the ungraspable. He prays that we would know the unknowable, that we would fathom the unfathomable, ponder the unponderable. He'd get in the picture. He, he actually says it in the English. It says, may you know, let me find it. May you have power to grasp, to grasp how wide and how deep is the love of Christ and to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that you can never know? It's weird, but it's such a brilliant description of the love of God. You can never arrive at the end of it and go, right, I've experienced the fullness of the love of God. What's next? You'll never get to that place. Paul is saying the love of God is that wide. It's that high. It's that deep. What what did I leave out? It's that long that you can never get to the end of it. But grow in it. Let it dwell in your inner being. Let the love of God just continually be poured into your heart so that you know it more and more. And this is the pathway. I think this is the heart of the pathway of discipleship is knowing in your inner being that you are deeply loved by God. Deeply loved by God. We, we need the help to know what to do. And Paul gets into that. He speaks to how to have a healthy family. He speaks to other things like that. But before he gets there, every time he says, but before we get there, know you are loved. And nothing can separate you from that love. God will never withdraw that love. You are loved. I just imagine, I imagine if, if we as a church just spent more intentional time, like Sirx was talking about before, as he was trying to draw some energy out of us. What if we just spent more time, and I need this, just pondering the unponderable? What if we just spent more time trying to know God's love that surpasses, not trying to figure it out, not trying to get all academic and all that sort of thing, but just, just like Paul prays for, God, just I open up my inner being to you and say, fill me with that love. Oh, I reckon that's the heart of revival. That's the heart of revival. Because when we, when we know that we're loved, when we know that we're secure in that love, nothing can stop us because nothing can stop God. And even if they have rights and burn or uh, start, like when they burnt the idols and all the tradesmen came against them, even if that happens, even if they do news headlines about us and all that sort of stuff, you know, we kind of go, it's okay. I'm loved. I'm loved. And with all that context set in place, we get to the fridge magnet verse of all fridge magnet verses. This is the prayer of all prayers. This is the prayer that we love to pray and we attach our desires to this prayer, often ignoring the context of this prayer. This is it. This is the one. And I'm sure if you've been around church for more than five minutes, you've heard this attached to some kind of prayer. Now to him, now to Jesus, now to that God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, who's, who knows that prayer almost uh, off, off by heart? We attach it to all sorts of things. So maybe at the end of a prayer meeting, we've prayed for, for all this stuff that God would do. We say now to him, you've heard what we want to say now. You can go beyond that. We know you can. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that at all. But in the context of this passage, what is Paul thinking of? He's thinking about the growth of the church as the people are filled with the love of God at the core of their being. 
and that the church would continue to be. I reckon the glory of, the glory of God in the church is this unity in diversity. Unity despite diversity. That when Jesus says, by your love for each other, the world will know you belong to me because the world looks in and goes, those people should not be friends. Those people should not love each other. But they do and that's remarkable. There should be division here. I know what that person used to be like and I can't believe they're in, uh, in relationship with that person over there who I also know they've been like this. What has gone on? Well, we belong to Jesus. All oh, right, there's the Jesus bloke again, doing things that we didn't think was possible. That's what I reckon Paul is praying for here when he talks about immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Build up the church as he's thinking, man, I was there when it started in Ephesus. I was there and I saw the beginning of this thing. And now, God, do it more. Continue to build this church up in this really important city called Ephesus. Let it be built up. Let it be established on nothing else but the love of God in their hearts, in their inner beings. This is what he's praying for. I reckon for me, it raises a bit of a question about the church in Australia, the church in Queensland in 2022 about why don't we see more of God's power there is some incredible things happening don't don't hear me wrong and I I meant to say at the beginning I absolutely love that God because of God's grace and because of his uh him just being good (laughs) that I ended up as a part of Gateway Baptist I'm stoked we are stoked as a family to be a part of this church and because it's a church that is expectant that God's going to do stuff I mean believe it or not I've been in churches where People don't expect God to do stuff. And if he starts to do stuff, we try to plan it, plan him out of it. But here, it's like, God, work. God, do things. And we're seeing him do good things. But I don't, and maybe you disagree with me, but I think if we're really honest, we're not yet at revival. We're not there. So if the, if the problem is never with God, yeah, it can only deduce that the problem might be with us. So as, as Paul prays this prayer, there's, there's not like an automatic thing that happens. We are not passive in this prayer. It's not like there's going to be a moment, wait for it, wait for it, you're ready. Bam, here comes the love of God. Despite how you feel, despite your attitude, despite everything, here it comes, bang, it's automatic, it's passive on your behalf and we just start shaking and all that sort of thing. No, I reckon there's implied in this prayer by Paul some kind of desire on our behalf some kind of openness, some kind of willingness, some kind of attentiveness to the love of God that says, fill me, God, fill me with your love because my inner being is, is maybe controlled by other things right now. There's other things that are, that are fighting for the right to be in that inner, inner place, that inner being where all of my decisions are made and where I filter the world, where I understand and comprehend the world. I want you in there, God. I want you. So Holy Spirit, strengthen me in there. Let Christ dwell in there. Come and do that in me. Come and do that in me. That's, that's a church on its knees. That's a church desperate. And I think that's a church that starts to experience revival because I reckon there's the, a reality going on here. Is that me? I don't know what I'm doing. I keep going. There's a, there's a, really, way, a really simple way to, to describe this in four words. Well, actually, two words, but repeated. Do you want me to switch to this? I like to be in control. That's <laughs> good. I can't even close the thing now. There we go. Okay. 
right? There's a really simple way to describe uh, where, I, where I could see this potentially going as we, as we embrace that attitude and as, as Paul's prayers answered by God amongst a willing, open and attentive people. It's this reality. Loved people, love people. Loved people, love people. Paul is praying here that we might be a community that transcends barriers. We can only do that when we know that we are fully loved by God. And when we, we realise that God fully loves us in that place of inner being, we, we are awakened to the potential that he might love that person sitting opposite me as well. We're awoken to the potential that the person that I work with, that I'm going to work with tomorrow, who I've had some pretty heavy discussions with and talk about opposition, they're coming at me. I can love them because they're potentially a person who would have the spirit dwell in their inner being as well. And I can love them. I can serve them. I can, I can debate with them and I can have the argument. But in my heart of hearts, I love them and I can serve them. And this is the seeds of revival. Loved people love people. Now, let me, get, let me get to two really practical pieces of advice on this, two practical actions that we can take uh, to start to see, oh, I think this happen. They might be simple, but I think they're pretty heavy in terms of the potential of what can happen. The first one is simply this, start with loving each other. Start with loving each other. There was a bunch of people before the service who were up the back in the, in the area over there praying for tonight, praying for the service, and their heart was to serve you. That's what they're here for. And I know Hannah, she's not here to show off her brilliant voice. She's here to serve. She, she, she desires for you guys to be reminded and encounter the love of God. God is our Father and so we love each other and the way we love each other is by serving each other. Here's a really practical piece of advice, a really practical step you can take. Start serving at Gateway City. If you've been coming for a while, but you go, I'm only coming to the services, just hanging around the edges, jump in and start serving. Jump in and start serving your brothers and sisters who call this church home as well. Don't stay on the fringes. Don't, 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 don't stay, hang around the edge waiting for the right time. Just jump in, join a team, start serving. Take an hour or two a week because love, the love of God is love in action and it's shown in serving. Jesus says, this is how I want you to love after he washed the disciples' feet. I don't know if you've got a feet washing ministry here at um, City. Maybe that's prophetic too. Okay. <laughs> but ju- jump on a team. Start to talk, to, talk to Pastor Andrew about how to, how to get involved. Start serving. It's a really practical way. There is, there is a scale, of course, of sacrificial love. And I'm talking right here at the easy end. Let me make that really clear. Like there's Jesus and what he did on the cross, like way, way out there. But sometimes we just sit over here and we get, we get obsessed with our own comfort. We get obsessed with our own diary and our own time. We haven't got time for that. I haven't got time to serve. When you're loved and you realise you're loved by God and loving people is serving people, you can start to step in and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out where I can start serving, whether it's washing dishes or vacuuming floors or wiping down walls, whatever it is, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve because I'm loved by God and God is, has a heart of service shown in Jesus. The second thing, and again, I love, Cirque was talking about this earlier. I'm just going to reiterate some of the stuff he said. I'm going to steal uh, from his mind as well the, t- the potential title of our next series, Practice the Rhythms of Grace. The Rhythms of Grace. And this is, the rhythms of grace is a really uh, nice and beautiful way of saying something that 
can be a bit jarring. Practice spiritual disciplines. Who's inspired by that? Who, who thinks practice the rhythms of grace sounds is a lot better? Yeah, we'll go with that title, I reckon. Yeah. Here's what I think is going on every time we walk out those doors. Every time you, you walk into, the, into a context in which you are rubbing shoulders with people of the world, whether it's putting your TV on, reading the newspaper, logging into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, everything is screaming at you, this is who you should be. This is who you should be if you want to swim in the cultural tide that you're a part of. And you are being, here's a word that we'll make up, you are being storied by everything that goes into your mind and in, in through your eyes and potentially has the, the, has the potential to sit in your inner being. Everything is storying you to say, be part of this story. And then we have moments like we have tonight, a beautiful moment to come together and declare Jesus reigns above it all. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. That's the story I'm a part of. That's the narrative where I find my purpose. That's the place where I know that I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm saved. That's right. This is the story. Let me, let me tell you, to this point, an hour and 21 minutes is not enough of your 168 hours a week for that to be embedded in your inner being. Coming once on a Sunday night to a service like this is not enough to embed your identity as a child of God. You need to engage in and practice the rhythms of grace. You need to find ways to be restoried out of the world and into the kingdom of God. You need to be in a life group with other people where you talk about that. You don't just drink good coffee together. You talk about it and you remind each other, here's your struggle in the world. Here's where, where you are going out and, and through work or through study, you, you are having these experiences. Now come, come, come alongside some other believers and remind each other, remember, this is the story we're a part of. You need to be reading the Bible, which contains the story that you're a part of. You need to be praying, God, fill me with, with your love in my inner being, but remind me that I am yours. I, I, I'm not to conform to the world. I belong to you. And the spiritual disciplines are so important. For some of you, going into your room, shutting the door, reading the Bible, praying is incredible. It's great. The rhythms of grace, you need to practice more of getting together with other people and reminding them and being reminded of the story you're a part of. For others, being alone is death. But you need to take time on your own just to be with God and let Him fill you to your inner being, establish you in His love and find the spiritual disciplines, not to do them to earn brownie points, not to do them to make yourself more presentable and lovable to God, but do them because you are loved. And because this is the story, God's story is the only story that has a beginning before all other stories began and has an ending that is beyond any other ending because it will never end. And that's the story you're a part of when you're in Christ. But you need to be regularly storied because the world will do everything it can to say, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Do this. And every one of you and me can be a victim of that. And so engaging in the rhythms of grace, the rhythms of church, life groups, Sunday gatherings, on your own in your room, all those sorts of things are really important to remember which story you're a part of. So start serving each other. Join a team. And then practice the rhythms of grace. And you're gonna hear a lot more about that when we finish Ephesians and move into our next series. Here's where I wanna land. It's with a question. It's with an assessment of yourself to ask, 
how open am I? How willing am I? How attentive am I to the love of God filling my inner being? How much do I desire that? Paul is praying here for something to happen. But I think for that to happen is dependent on what he's implying, that we would be open to say, yes, God, come and establish your love. But the Holy Spirit, come and strengthen my inner being. Let Christ dwell in there richly. Maybe He already is. Maybe you're really aware that He is right there. You still need this prayer for that to stay true. Or maybe you're aware tonight that He is not in the inner being. He's maybe around the fringes and He can come there when it's convenient. But I'm just too in love with the world to make room in my inner being for Christ to dwell there. But tonight, because the Spirit is moving, because the prayer of Paul is over us right now, the Spirit is stirring and saying, hey, make room for me. Are you open? Are you willing? Are you attentive to that? I want to do something really simple. I'd love to go back over Paul's prayer and pray it over this campus, pray it over you guys and allow and pray that the things that Paul prays for here would be true for you. And I reckon just because Paul says that he's doing it, a really appropriate posture for those of us who feel open, who feel willing and who feel attentive to this, that we would kneel as we pray. And so I'd love to invite you, like Paul did, to kneel. If you're open, if you're willing, if you're attentive, and if you're able, if you don't have sore knees, kneel with me. Kneel with me and I'd love to pray this prayer over you. City Campus, 5pm. I'm going to pray this prayer from the New Testament for Everyone translation, the NTE. Father, hear our prayer. Because of this, I am kneeling down before the Father the one who gives the name of family to every family that there is in heaven and on earth. My prayer is this, that He will lay out all the riches of His glory to give you strength and power through His Spirit in your inner being, that the King may make His home in your hearts through faith, that love may be your root, your firm foundation, and that you may be strong enough with all of God's holy ones to grasp the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know the King's love, though actually it's so deep that nobody can really know it. So may God fill you with all His fullness. So to the one who is capable of doing far, far more than we can ask or imagine, granted the power which is working in us, to Him be glory in the church and in King Jesus to all generations and to all the ages of ages. And everyone who was open, willing and attentive said, Amen, Amen. We're in a season of opposition, intensifying opposition, but we're also in a season of great opportunity. And as the love of God fills us, it compels us out. Loved people, love people. We're going to sing a song. I love this song. I've loved it for many years that reminds us of the power of God. And the power of God is always in, hand in hand with the love of God. 
There is no power without love and there is no, no love without power when it comes to God. And so we sing to our God is greater, our God who is stronger, our God is higher than any other. If He is for us, who can be against us? God has plans for this city and He's using you to accomplish those plans. Let's, uh, let's pray to Him. Let's worship Him now. He is good. He is powerful. He loves us. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.